please remain standing or join us in standing in honor of God's Word. We want to ask every visitor to please grab a bulletin. We're going to ask our visitors to read out loud Isaiah 53, 1 through 10, as we quote out loud this wonderful chapter that we've been studying word for word through the year. As the year goes to a close, I'm going to continue to give you tips on easy ways to memorize a chapter a year for the rest of your life. The first tip is hook a habit to a habit. Say that. Five minutes a day, either in your sleep time before you go to sleep, or your prayer time, or your exercise time, or your commute, or your shower bathroom time, five minutes a day, and you'll memorize a chapter every year for the rest of your life. Second tip, which I've not given yet, is this. It's a pop quiz. You want to have great memory. You want to be like me. I have 29 chapters of the Word that I quote every week effortlessly. Do you memorize as fast as you can, moderate pace, or as slow as you can? Slow as you can. If you did five minutes a day, you start with verse one. And when you're ready to move on to verse two, make yourself wait a week. Make yourself wait two weeks until you are ravenous for verse two. And then you memorize verse two. And then make yourself, when you're hungry for verse three, make yourself wait three weeks. Always memorize out of hunger. Somebody say amen. Amen. Join with me today as we quote Isaiah 53, 1 through 10. Put some power, put your faith behind it. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Let me ask you to pause right there. If you've been wondering why we haven't covered the rest of verse 7, in the month of September we're going to cover the power of the tongue and why it says four times in verse 7 that Jesus refused to open his mouth. And as we are in verse 8, we covered in the last sermon that the greatest weapon of demons in your life is when you draw a conclusion against another human being that intentionally leaves out God. It's called a judgment. And it says that there were two things that brought Christ to death. Oppression and judgment. Verse 8, join with me, ready? By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though we had done no violence, nor with any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Lift your right hand towards heaven as high as you can reach. If you are in Christ, then you have the promise that the will of the Lord will prosper in your hand. Lord, we hold our hands before you and say, let your will prosper in our lives. Let everything in our lives glorify our King. In Jesus' name, somebody say, Amen. And now take that, give somebody a high five. Tell them that they are better looking than you've ever thought that you would ever see in anybody. Amen. Tell them that they are so good looking that you have to sit down or you're going to pass out. <laughs> Grab your sermon handouts. The last sermon was a fierce sermon. was an intense sermon. Today's sermon is a fun sermon. Last week's sermon was the intensity of God on the subject of forgiveness. And we said Isaiah 53, verse 8, what a judgment is. A judgment is a conclusion against another human being that intentionally leaves out God. It is a pleading for demons to come into your life because you are saying, I want punishment and I don't want God's mercy involved at all. In that fierce sermon last time, there was a lot of pain, a lot of humility, and a lot of repentance. Today's sermon is the reward for surviving last sermon. Rather than the fierceness of forgiveness, we're going to cover the fun and the freedom of forgiveness. And I want to say some things that may actually disorient you at the first part because you don't really believe that things could be that grace-filled or that light-hearted. Forgiveness... We've got to keep a clean heart. We've got to keep a clean heart. Somebody say amen. amen. And so on one aspect, to ever walk away from any relationship believing that you were wronged is a complete and total lie because that is not God's summation of the relationship. That's the fierce aspect of the forgiveness. But the fun aspect of forgiveness is you are not expected by God to like everybody. <gasps> Glory to God. Do not look around right now. Eyes straight ahead. <laughs> yes, you are commanded to have a clean heart. It is a fierce sin an incomplete forgiveness to have any emotional negative residue against any person. You cannot have bitterness or angst or you wronged me. And you can't have those negative things in your soul. But you do not, here's the fun part, you do not have to interact with every person. You see, in Romans 15, 7, it says, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. And that, that word acceptance is a big word. In the Greek, it's proslambano, above all, that the overarching summation is that you think someone is wonderful. Yet in the same book, two and a half chapters earlier, Romans 12, 18, it says, Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And my favorite part of that verse is the first part. If it is possible. <laughs> and so you put the two together and say, okay, accept one another, which means I have to think you're wonderful, and yet it's so realistic about sometimes it's not easy to get along with people. So when you put the two together, you have this simple equation. 
We are commanded to have a rinsed, light heart towards every person. We're commanded to accept people and quit trying to change them. We're commanded to think they're wonderful. So what do you do? You move as far away from the person as you have to to think they're wonderful. (laughs) And you know exactly how far that is. For some, it's we'll see each other twice a year at best family gatherings. And I'll stay for two hours. And if I do that, I'll still think you're wonderful. For some, it's two states away, 2,000 miles away. Above all, keep a clean heart. Say that. You don't have to fix everyone. You don't have to like everyone. You don't have to interact with everyone. But you've got to keep a clean heart. And so the fierce aspect of forgiveness is the clean heart. But the fun aspect is... Most times when people have ongoing issues with forgiveness, watch this carefully. It's often only partially the pains of the past. Many times it's, you know, my dad just, he always, he scowled at me as a kid and he, you know, he always was pointing out my wrong things. And, and so maybe you're dealing with unforgiveness towards your dad, but it's also the fact that you're still trying to please daddy, even though you're 47 years old. And you're still going over hoping that he's still scowling. And so often it's not just the past. It's the fear of the future and the lack of sense of safety. And I say to men, I've said to many 40, 50, and 60 year old men, I said, look. I said, your dad's mean as a snake. He's probably going to die mean as a snake. Whether he does or not, this wish that one day he would think you're wonderful is killing you and you keep seeking approval from a man that's meant to be sought from God and so let it go move away call your dad on Father's Day see him twice a year be in and out in two hours and quit because above all keep a clean heart somebody say that And so forgiveness does not mean you have to fix people does not mean you have to interact with people does not mean you have to like people but it does mean you have to have, and I'm going to show you this in, 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 in a very important conclusion today that I hope you're ready for some power of God in your life. Anybody ready for the power of God to move in your life today? Now, in last sermon, I said that biblically, forgiveness and redemption are the same thing. Ephesians 1, 7 defines them as the same thing. You have not completed the process of forgiveness until you've done four Bible steps. And I gave them to you last week. The first one is cancel the debt. That's the obvious, simple one. That's the first step. The second one is the one that people miss very, very often. I did a Bible study in 1987. And I just said, and I really didn't do an extensive Bible study. I'm sure there's a lot I missed. But I said, I want to find every verse in the Bible that says that humility is the single most important attitude in the Bible. I only found 109. 109 passages. I did a study, which I've got on Word, if you want to read, just on the scriptural attitude of teachable or humble. You're in this dungeon of pain and strife. The, the foolish thing is that you're sh- is anyone is shocked by strife. We are all tested by strife. We all come into this earth, and I want to see how many of you understand this. We come into this earth as Petty, self-centered, egocentric, spoiled brats. We all maximize the other person's wrongs and minimize our own wrongs. 
And when we give our heart to Jesus, he said, great, I've got the first part of your heart, and I want the rest of your heart. And every strife situation is either a major promotion into the purity and the passion and the love of Jesus, or a major demotion into the land of stagnancy and spiritual death. There's no middle ground. So strife is sent to all of us to grow us up. Somebody say amen. amen. And so yes, you cancel the debt, but you cancel the debt understanding that of course you're magnifying their wrongs and minimizing your wrongs. You're not the first human since Jesus who was perfect. Of course you're seeing it through your eyes. And then step two, you are commanded now, commanded to see my wrongs through what perspective? There, what kind of perspective for them? Do you understand Matthew 7? It's so simple. It's, it's an intentional hyperbole by Jesus. When he said, you hypocrite, how dare you look at the splinter in your brother's eye without seeing the plank in your own eye? Hyperbole, obviously, you can't fit a plank in your eye. But the obvious thing is, in heaven, when people look down at heaven, at all of our yeah, yeah, cat fight, what percentage of it will look petty? All of it. All of it. You don't think in heaven they go, I can't believe he said that to her. Oh. And so, from heaven's perspective, we both have splinters. You tracking with me? From my perspective on the earth, I have a splinter. And you have a plank. Jesus did not command us to see it through our emotional perspective. He did not command us to see it through God's emotional perspective. Did you catch this? He commanded us to see it through their emotional perspective. And so you've been in a strife situation. It's been ongoing. Until you can say with your mouth, next month, studying the subject of the power of the tongue. Until you say with your mouth, if I understand your heart... If I understand your emotional perspective, if I understand your giftings and your passions, if I understand you have a great yearning for peace and a great yearning for safety and you have a great uh, craving that above all else, let's be gentle. And, and if I understand that these, these yearnings and combined with your woundings, if I understand where you're coming from and your passions and your perspective and your emotions, then what I did and what I said in my tone of voice was like fingernails on chalkboard on your soul. And when you can say that out loud, you have begun to obey the king and anger is just rinsed out of your heart. And many people are just too petulant. I'm not saying that out loud. I don't care what your perspective is. In this second step, how many have heard my teaching I did about 10 years ago on the armor of God? Hold your hands up. The first piece of the armor of God, remember that the armor of God is the greatest subject of spiritual warfare in all the Bible. It starts with the belt of truth. Throughout the Bible, gird your loins means to get ready for a fight. When God said to Job, gird your loins, to gird your loins, the men had these long robes and they would literally tie their robe up into a pair of shorts to remove extraneous material so they were free to move and then they would tie a belt around it. And so the, the belt of truth is about conflicts. Now in every conflict, what you have is the whole conflict is like a belt. My perspective is this area right here. And I become attached to my perspective and I become a belt loop. Now this is the most important question you'll grasp on conflicts. Am I right in what I see? Am I right? 
Yes. This person over here and their stupid, idiotic, pitiful perspective. Peace and calmness and sweetness and all that stuff. Are they right? Yes. And the reason why God commands us to see it through someone else's emotional perspective is that's the next step to seeing the whole thing through God's perspective. You're always, listen, you have been right in every conflict you've ever been in. There, go ahead. <sighs> Somebody say, I knew it. I knew it. But is being right the same thing as having truth? No. No, and so first step is cancel the debt. Second step is then to begin to see it through their perspective. Third step, which is what we're going to do most of today, is to, is to learn something so wonderful through this that you're now so rich because of it. There are lessons that take 50 years. Lessons that... The difference between serving someone with an offer to bless and trying to please. The difference between trying too hard, which trying too hard is like a gnat in the face of God, versus being calm, confident, humble servant. The difference between giving people freedom to fail. Oh my gosh, parents who are determined to keep their kids from all pain simply guarantee their kids will face greater pain. And they don't want... They don't want adult friends. They want to control these 15-year-olds. You give them freedom to fail. You let them know once, I think that will cause pain. And then you let them have the experience the pain. Because how many of us, the best things we learned, we learned when we failed. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and so these truths, David is considered one of the five richest men who ever lived. He has a title that we would all die for. He was called a man after God's own heart. He's one of the richest men who ever lived. Who made, hint, hint, peek at the PowerPoint. Who made David rich? Saul. And until you learn the lessons that Saul is sent to teach you, you'll always be an escaped refugee. But when you learn the lessons, Saul goes away and you become the king with the favor of God on his heart and his life. There are lessons from every strife that are meant to make you so rich. You know the one spiritual power weapon that Satan cannot counterfeit? It's the one he's more scared of than anything else. He can counterfeit faith with a false spirituality. He can counterfeit the voice of God with weird revelations. All he's got to do is have you eat some pizza and he'll give you a weird dream. <laughs> but you know what one thing he does not have a counterfeit for? Thankfulness. When you take these things you've been through and you have gained so much riches that you are thankful, he runs screaming into the night. We're going to spend most of our time on that one. Let me go and hit number four. But number four is Christianity 101. It's first grade Christianity. It's not enough to only speak a few slanders against those who've wronged you. It's not enough to say nothing about those who wronged you. We are commanded over and over and over and over and over again that when someone has wronged us, we are commanded to bless them and to pray blessings on them. That's simple 
first grade Christianity, but it is the fourth step and the final step, and we're going to conclude with that step in just a few minutes. What I want to do is I want to go back to number three, and I want to present to you, what I'm presenting to you today is almost a potpourri of 10,000 sermons in one overview simplistic thought. And, and I'm not going to complete the thought till the end of the sermon, but the first part of the thought is, Forgiveness means keeping a clean heart, but doesn't mean liking everyone or interacting with everyone. That's the first half. In this, in every strife you've ever been in, you and the other person assumed that they should know your expectations. Parents should! And 30 years of bitterness because my dad should have known that I needed five verbal praises before one constructive criticism. Did you ever tell him that? No, but he should have known. And, and children assume. Immature, selfish people assume. And fathers assume my son should be appreciative for this. And bosses should. And, and employees should. And wives should. And husbands should. In every strife you've ever had, you and they assumed that that person could read your mind. And, and every strife you have to learn that the only hope for healthy relationships is early on dating or son, when I'm going to correct you, the things, the expectations and the, and the things that are expected upon me and, 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 and employee, you know, the, the highest quality employees have very, very careful processes of hiring and lay out clear expectations. The sloppy ones, oh, you look good, we'll hire you and then you're firing them six months later. Do you know why we don't express our expectations and what's the three words in blue? Calmly, clearly, and you know why we don't dialogue expectations? Because when you don't dialogue, you maintain control. You see, in your heart, you've got, well, woman, I think that I work hard and I need to come in and do those stupid dishes. I don't need to be giving you all this touchy, kissy, huggy, praise stuff, and I sure don't need you to talk my ear off. I just need an hour of peace in front of the idiot box. I don't think that's too much to ask. And when you don't dialogue about those things, you don't have to negotiate. But try saying those things out loud, calmly, clearly, and you realize what an arrogant idiot you're acting like. And you say, well, I would kind of like to have an hour. I'll take a half an hour. And, and also, see, people don't, you, you bury these things in your heart so you can believe you're right. But you learn in every strife. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes. No naps, please. In fact, I'll guarantee you're not going to nap. Right now, I want you to picture a face six inches in front of your nose. And this face is the person who, with whom you've had the longest ongoing tension in your life. Find them. Find them. Bring them six inches in front of your face and they're staring at you. Now, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer out loud. I'm going to ask you to out loud ask their forgiveness for your assuming that they could read your mind, assuming that they knew all your passions and your expectations. Now, you don't have to do this. And if you don't, you'll stay in your prison. But if you'll just say these words by faith, you will feel a lightness come into your heart in about 30 seconds. So anyone that wants out of prison, say these words. Look at the person. You see them? Got them right in front of you? Now say these words. Say, please forgive me. Because I assumed... You understood all my passions. I assumed 
you could read my mind. I assumed you knew all of my expectations. And that was so wrong. It was foolish and childish of me. Please forgive me. Keep your eyes closed for just one more minute. Whoa, what is that? Calmness, peace, release. You see, every strife you've ever been in, you assumed expectations rather than calmly, clearly laying them out. It takes about 50 years to learn to deal with these things up front. Lesson number two. I love getting old. Do you love getting old? It's a glorious thing to get old. Youth is a painful place. Wouldn't go back there for anything. Because young people are easily deceived in the worst of all deceptions. Young people actually can be idiotic enough to believe that there was an ongoing tension and they were innocent. Old people, we know. Remember the story of the woman caught in adultery? And the crowd had picked up the stones and they said, we must obey the law, Messiah, anointed one. We must obey the law. Do you obey the law of Moses? Come on, Jesus, we got to kill her. We're going to kill her right now. And you know the story. Jesus wrote in the dirt and they got irritated. They said, speak up. Do we obey the law of Moses or not? He said, oh yeah, we're going to obey the law of Moses. Let him who is without cast the first stone. How many of you know what the Bible says that of the grouping of people holding rocks of the cowering half-naked woman there leaning against the wall waiting for these rocks to crush her bones and her face and her skin? It says that a certain group dropped their rocks first. Who was it? The older ones. Because when you get old, you are no longer idiotic enough to believe that you were ever innocent in any strife. You no longer believe you have no... You had too many things that at 18 and 20 and 25, that stupid boss, they're the worst boss, and then 10 years later, you're the boss. And all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, did I not understand one-tenth. Listen, I, every time anybody ever says, don't ever bother telling me that it's your birthday, especially if you're a female, because I will look at you in front of the whole church and say, and how old are you? And then I will sing a solo to you. We're talking double pain here. <laughs> because I despise the concept of only young people have worth. The Bible says the opposite. It says the gray hair is a crown of glory. And it's a wonderful thing. And one of the best parts is because when you're young, you really believe that your passions are God's passions. You believe that. And, and the arrogant part is you don't just believe your passions are God's passions. You believe that your passions are the only passions that God has. And God has a cure for that arrogant belief that your passions are only God's passions. It's called Marriage. <laughs> Marriage. 22 years ago, I married a sweet little thing. Known her for five years. Early in our marriage, and even I had hints before we got married, that she didn't quite understand the heart of God like I did. <laughs> because you see, I didn't think I knew that God's heart was initiative, aggressiveness, 
enthusiasm and order. And this poor deceived little blondie, she thought that God's heart was peace and being sweet and nice to everyone and moving ever so slowly. It's okay, I'll change her. Walking away from a strife, not thinking but knowing it's going to take you 20 years to fully understand all the places that you were blind. You can, you can give someone, now watch these bottom two words. See mercy? You can give someone mercy without giving up your own sense of safety. And in this, knowing that's going to take, you see, for some people, walking in the spirit is cleaning up your room because they're sloppy. For other people, walking in the spirit is letting the room get messy because they're obsessive about being clean. And you're going to realize it's going to take me 20 years to see what God was saying through you and what God is saying through me. So I'm going to give you space and give you mercy, but not compromise my safety. Learning this. Learning to accept people and think they're wonderful and if it is possible, have peace with all men. It's a sweet thing to get old. Somebody say amen. amen. The last one's the biggest of all. This is really a study of, of the power of demons through unforgiveness. Listen to me very, very carefully. If Satan cannot get you to serve demons directly, he will get you to serve demons in other people. Serving, we are commanded to serve the hungry. We are commanded to not serve the hurting who don't want to change. See, hungry people are willing to. Hurting people simply want. And, and when you're young, they look a lot alike. They're both just screaming at the top of their lungs. Help! And after a few decades of being suckered by people who are hurting but not willing to change... You learn early on in the midst of all the screaming that you don't have to fix everything. Right, Judy? Amen. And you have learned to say, well, look, this is really a mess. And, and, and the first thing the Lord's going to want you to do, well, what do you mean me? Dude, you need to fix this. You know what Galatians 6, 2 says? Bear each other's burdens. You know what Galatians 6, 5 says? Each one should bear their own burdens. Do you understand what that means? You only bear someone else's burdens as long as they are willing to bear their own burdens. And so there's two extremes, and, and these two extremes um, are, are extremely important to understand because neither of them are God. On, on, on one extreme are people who try too hard. We have to be close as an extended family. You don't have to be close with your extended family. In fact, it's unbiblical. Every instance of extended family in the Bible, God is trying to separate extended family that each new family may form their own identity. If you, if you bless that, God may give you interaction as a gift. But, you, but in a world that's gone crazy, people, are, we have to stay close. We have to talk every day. No, you don't. And you're trying too hard. Just as much on the other extreme is this, well, you ticked me off, so you're out of my life. You ticked me off, you're out of my life. And when you ask God, you say, should I try with everything in me to make this relationship work? God says no. And then you say, 
So should I just quit? God says, no. Because in both cases, self was the goal. And God says, you neither should try too hard nor quit too early. The answer, God's answer, is that each of us have an assignment. Each of us have a command. And every relationship we have on this earth is tested by one measuring stick only. Somebody say, I want heaven's perspective. In heaven, your wife is not your wife first. She is first your teammate. Your friend in the pew is not a parishioner, not a pastor, not a neighbor. They are, you have only one human relationship, and that is teammates. Because above all else, you have an assignment. You have a vapor, a minute that your life is gone, and you will stand before the king. And he said, I gave you talents. Bring me people. Bring me the hurting. Bring me the broken. Bring me the hungry. Bring me people. And we are on a team with teammates. And so every human relationship, if you get married for the purpose of yourself, your marriage has no hope. I love living in the end times. I love looking at people and saying, look, it's a great time to live. You're all out for Jesus or your marriage ain't got a snowball's chance in the Sahara. And I don't have to say it but once. I don't have to say it at all. I just say, if you're all out for Jesus, let me know after the second or third marriage when you're ready to be all out for Jesus. It is a great time to live. And in this great time to live, in every human relationship, there's two passages. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 15 says, says, you want to grow up? Then verse 16 says, show me your teammates. You see, are you a healthy soul? Then show me your teammates. Show me the people that you have worked in the pits with to reach the lost that you have reached the hungry. Show me that you come to church not to get fed a sermon, but to get stronger with your teammates. That'll help you grow closer to Christ and you help me grow closer to Christ and together. That is the only purpose for going to church somebody. And if you don't buy into that, God will move you. He'll back off. And in this, that's the command. It's the only way to grow up to be consumed with this. So the question is, show me your teammates And show me the people you serve. Next year. This year we're memorizing Isaiah 53, Christ on the cross. Next year we're memorizing resurrected Christ, Isaiah 61. The greatest chapter on the favor of God in all the Bible. How many want the favor of God in their lives? It opens with these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Then it says four words. He has sent me. Say that. And 15 times in four verses it says, I have an assignment. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a demonic spirit of despair. He has sent me. And in every human relationship, when there is strife, when there is tension, 
first I will, I will release and then I will humble and then we will, in this humble, we will try to work it out. And if we can work it out so that I'm closer to Christ and you're closer to Christ and we're reaching more for Christ, then we will work it out. If we cannot work it out, I will just back away because I've got an assignment. And I will not stagger to the finish line. I will not start out passionate for Christ and then crawl some religious, fake, shallow person. I will hit the finish line full speed, more pure, more passionate for Jesus, more in love with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 7, 10, 11 are the two greatest passages in all the verses, in all the Bible about repentance. And it's summed up in the Message Bible. In all of this, God has purified your heart. And so every human relationship, like it or not, your marriage, your kids, every person, the test is, are we drawing each other closer to Christ and reaching the captives, the prisoners in darkness, the brokenhearted, the hungry? I told you in the last sermon that for almost 20 years, my extended family had nonstop strife and I cut them off at 38 years old. And then God eventually healed us and restored us and we have very healthy relationships now. But after a six-year gap, I didn't tell you what the Lord said to me at 38 years old. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in is what Proverbs 3.12 says. 38 years old and I said to God, I've had it with every one of my extended family. I don't ever want to see them again on this earth. I've had it with them. I'm so weary, God. I've probably put 10,000 hours into trying to help them and trying to serve them and trying to get them to stop fighting and to understand each other and just to be nice to each other. You know what God said to me in that moment? He said, son, you probably have put 10,000 hours in the last 20 years. Hear these words, I beg of you, because I can hear them as if the Lord spoke them to me this morning. He said, you're trying to fix people who didn't want you to fix them. You're trying to help people who do not want your help. And some, while you had your agenda, every one of those 10,000 hours, I had a hungry person that was so thirsty. I had 10,000 people sent for you to minister to in the last 20 years and you had no time for them because you had your agenda. 11 years ago, I said, I will learn the difference between serving the hungry and the hurting because I have so little time. See, all these truths, trying too hard, trust and forgiveness are different things. I'm memorizing the whole book of 2 Corinthians because it's the most convoluted, strife-filled book in all the Bible. And Paul just comes in over and over again and said, said, so I made up my mind I would not make another painful, I will not deal with you if it's going to be painful. I'm just going to back away. Amazing passages. They all are wrapped in an assignment. He has sent me. And so you see with forgiveness, above all, keep a clean heart. Say that. Because he has sent me. Say that. So if you can work it out with people, work it out. If you can't work it out, move away. Have a light, clean heart and find teammates because there's so little time. I want to ask every person to stand and elders to come forward, please. Now get as still as you can because I have one more thing I want you to process and then we're going to pray. Please, as quickly as you can, stand up and be as still as you can.
strife is Saul sent to your life to make you a David. But Satan's purpose for strife is to distract. Distract. And sometimes you spend 5, 10, 15 years just, Jesus, why aren't you paying attention to what this person has done to me? And Jesus, they've so hurt me and they've so used me. Jesus, pay attention! And you can't figure out why he's not feeling sympathy for you until you finally see his eyes. And they're over here on starving, weak ones who would just take a drop and would respond to him. And he's weeping. And you realize he's never going here while you're demanding vengeance against this person. Strife is meant by Satan as a distraction from the passionate, burning love to serve the hungry. And I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God's forgiveness for being distracted. And then, then, name people and I want you to bless them like you have never blessed them before in your life. And I felt like if you will be gracious with me, I felt like the Lord said to remain standing during your prayer time this morning. I just, when I, I prayed all week and I kept seeing God's people with hands of two. And, when you, and, and, and you can come forward and have an elder pray with you or you can pray with another person. And I'm asking you to do this. We're going to ask God's forgiveness for being distracted. And then that father, that ex-wife, that former co-worker, you're going to turn to someone. We don't need any negatives. Well, I need to pray for this person. They hurt me so bad. We don't need any of that. You just say, I'm going to bless this person like they've never been blessed before. And we're going to let it go and get back in the race. Close your eyes, please. Say, Jesus, please forgive me for being distracted by pettiness. I have so little time. You've given me great gifts. There are hungry people that I must learn to serve. I will not crawl to the finish line. I will not stumble to the finish line. I will sprint to the finish line. More passionate for you. More passionate to serve the hungry than I've ever been in my life. I receive forgiveness for being distracted. And I release the heart of God in my heart to run the race. In Jesus' name, amen. Now some of you, you just need an elder to pray blessings over this person. You just come on forward and come to an elder and say, I want to bless this person. If you don't want an elder to pray for you, find one other person, just look at them and say, this is who I'm blessing. And you just dive right in and start blessing that person and then they're going to bless their person. Please do that now. Thank you.